Hallelujah, Father. I'm going to, for those of you with us for the first time, this is an exercise in futility, but I start my clock in order to give everyone a false sense of hope that they'll get out of here before the buffet runs out of chicken. Hallelujah, Father. Lord, we approach your word this morning with awe. It's not a light thing. You sent your word to deliver. You sent your word to save. And we receive it into our very souls that it would change us. Father, I pray in your name that we would have eyes to see, mouths that speak your word, and hearts big enough to contain the dream you've dreamed for us and of us. So, Father, let today be an extraordinary day. Create wellness in the hearts of your people with words. May they hear in between, above, and beneath what I say, the voice of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name. Amen? Amen. Well, we're continuing along the lines of talking about the new. We may finish it up next week. But we've been talking about the new you. And when I talk about the new you, the new you translates into a new type of Christianity. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, a new type of Christianity. Imagine a Christianity where love is the unbroken law. Love, not religiosity, but love is the unbroken law. Imagine a Christianity where His presence And his power are always present. Imagine a Christianity where his burden-removing, yoke-destroying power is available 24-7. Where you're the head and not the tail, above only and never beneath. See, if you can imagine that, if you can see that, then you can achieve that. And it's not a matter about how far we have to go to become that. You remember Paul said, he's pressing on. There's a high calling. And can I say this to you, that the the high calling is Christ-likeness. That's the high calling to where you are just like Jesus in your approach to life, in the way you interact with other people, in the way you believe that there is simply nothing impossible. And the great many things that you pray about now, you don't even need to pray about because you already would know your father's got that covered. And instead of anguishing in prayer about begging God to do something, you just simply lift your hands and thank him that he's already done it because he said he was going to do it and you don't doubt it because the new you is a creature of faith, not of unbelief. So if you can picture that, then you can achieve that. You following me? Because see, you, this might be improper English, but it's theologically correct. You is Christianity. Christianity is not a tabernacle, a temple, or a church building. It's not songs that are sung or sermons that are preached. You are, Paul said, a letter, an epistle, known and read of all men. You are Christianity. So when there's a new you, there's a new type of Christianity. And see, when love rules you, it'll rule the congregation. See, we're always waiting for everyone else to change. No, no. I think it was the great poet Michael Jackson said the change begins with the man in the mirror. So if you can embrace the new you, 
then all of us can enjoy a new type of Christianity. Amen. You ready for this this morning? I won't keep you long, but I'll keep you long enough. Go with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I want to read this to you out of the Passion Translation. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. And we can't say this enough. It's not about a better you. God never set out to make a better you. Because before Christ, there was no good in you. Selah. I hear, you know, I'm a grace preacher. I believe in grace. But I've heard some grace preachers say 99% of the people on the planet are good people. That's not Bible. Because apart from Christ, there's none good. Not even one. You before Christ. You may have been pretty, but you were just a monster with makeup. So Christ didn't make a better you. He didn't improve you. He radically, he like totally demoed you and rebuilt you in his image. That's, this is the new you. It's entirely new. Remember I told you the word new means introduced as if for the first time. That's you. You're new. He's an entirely new creation. All, listen to this, all that is related to the old order, all that is related to the old you, all that is related to the old habits, the old haunts, the old behaviors, they have what? Vanished. They're gone. Behold. Paul says, take a look. Everything is fresh and new. This new you will be just like Christ. I don't know about you, but this blesses me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship. That, that word workmanship literally means masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. He's the craftsman. He's the potter. We're the clay. And he's made us in Christ Jesus. Let's read that same verse out of the Passion Translation. We have become his poetry. A recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. The new you will not fall short. The new you, the creature that lives by faith. Let me, let me, the person that lives by faith. You will not fail. You will not fall short. That which he has ordained for you to do, you will do. And you will not draw your last breath until it's done. Until you're satisfied with a long life. We will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we would do to fulfill it. Listen to this. The new you carries the solution for our generation's problems. 
the new you. I mean, I don't think you got to look too hard or pay too much attention to see that our generation's broken. But you're not part of the problem. You're the solution. The new you is. Because the new you has the right words. The new you has the anointing upon you to remove the burdens and destroy the yokes. The new you is light inside of darkness. The new you is Christ reintroduced to this generation. That's the new you. Now, I got to say, as I'm preaching this, I'm not preaching about what we've known in the past or what our present experience is. It's about the high calling. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the standard. And it doesn't matter how far the journey is between where we are and where he's called us. But our life's ambition is that journey to where my life's ambition is to become not just necessarily do, but become who he ordained I should be. And that's our that's the focus. So when I'm preaching this, you might be in your mind thinking, boy, I'm a long ways away from that. Well, even the Apostle Paul said, I've not yet attained but I'm not worried about what I've not yet attained. I'm pressing on toward that mark. So this morning's message is about the mark. Press on toward it. It doesn't matter if you're the quickest one on the track. It doesn't matter if others started before you. This, what's more important than pace is process. It's not about whether somebody else is making the journey quicker. You just keep making the journey. The new you will bring God to earth again. That's the new you. That when you walk into a situation, it's as if Christ was in that situation. How can you say such things? Because they true. Because this is what redemption, remember I told you that redemption is about restoration. Redemption is about God restoring everything as if sin had never entered into the planet. As if Adam had never surrendered away all of his rights. Who would we be in perfection? We would be masters of our environment, not mastered by it. The first iteration of the life, the New Living Translation, they changed it. And I wish they hadn't. But in Genesis, they said that we would be life masters. God ordained you to master life, not be mastered by it. That you would speak to mountains and they would respond. You would speak to situations and they would be resolved. It doesn't matter if this has never happened before. It, welcome to the new norm Amen. where you are powerful, not impotent. That your prayers change things. They don't bounce back from the wall. The new you will live and walk as Jesus lived and walked among men. Can I get at least one amen on that? Go with me to John chapter 8, verse 32. John chapter 8, verse 32 out of the New American Standard says, You will know the truth. You'll know the truth. The truth about what? The truth about redemption. You'll know the truth about who your father is. You'll know the truth about how great his love is for you. And you'll know the truth of who he has made you to be in him. You will know the truth and the truth that you know. You know, truth by itself doesn't set anybody free. Truth that is unbelieved doesn't change you. 
If you got a letter in the mail and it said your great uncle Bubba Joe, and you didn't even know you had an uncle named Bubba Joe, had left you $10 million, but to you it sounded like a scam, so you never called the number. It could be true that Bubba Joe left you $10 million, but if you don't believe it enough to respond to it, how is that $10 million going to impact your life? Is it true? Yes, yes. But did you have enough faith or even curiosity to pursue it? No. So understand this, the truth of God that you don't believe or won't believe or you think that's too good to be true, it has no impact on you. But that doesn't make it untrue. It just makes it untrue for you. But when you mix your faith with this is the reason why I say it over and over and over and over again. If it's written, then our uncertainty is unnecessary. If it's written, then we can attach our faith to it. And if we attach our faith to it, it becomes the truth that our faith brings into our reality. Again, this is another reason why I say that the ultimate objective of faith is to make God's truth my reality. So that everything he has said about himself, I experience. Everything he has said about me, I become. And that I can live in a place where the weapons of the enemy cannot get to me. John chapter 8, verse 32 out of the Passion Translation says this. If you embrace the truth, it will release more freedom into your lives. Now look at the 36th verse. So if the Son sets you free from sin, then you become a true son and be unquestionably free. You shall know the reality because truth is reality. You shall know the reality and that reality that you know shall set you free. Again, what is the reality of who you are in Christ? Not who they told you you were. You know the church historically, has done a pretty poor job of telling people about redemption. Great at telling people about sin and telling, telling each of us how unworthy we are, how barely tolerated by God we are, and how we're just lucky that He'll even let us have a little cabin on the outskirts of heaven someday. But that's what men have said. That's not what the scripture has said. To find a place that majors not on who we used to be, but who we are now, that's the truth that liberates us. I don't need someone to tell me I was a good sinner. I know I was. I didn't have many trophies growing up, but I had a trophy that said, you're a good sinner. Those are scars on my body and brokenness in my heart. So I don't need anyone to remind me about what I used to be. I need somebody who will stand up and tell me who I am in him and how I can lay aside all the pain points of the past and walk into a greater future hand in hand with the one who loved me enough to die for me and didn't want to leave me where I was but lifted me out of the miry clay and put me in a high place, a joint heir, seated together with him so that I can live the life he ordained for me to live, not the life you tell me I got to live. This is why I believe that none of us should ever allow limited men who have limited God 
to limit us by their opinions, their suppositions, and their judgments. Forget about how many PhDs they have. PhD stands for post hole digger. Just because somebody's got a, a certificate doesn't mean they've got an anointing. You need someone who's going to tell you, you know what? You're recreated in his image. You're, you're, you're better than this. You're better than that. God didn't ordain you to misery. He ordained you to glory. And it's not a matter of who we are apart from him. It's not that we did this ourselves. But look what he did for us. Mm. The new you is a new type of Christianity. And the new type of Christianity is what the world has needed the whole time. Mm. The new you, listen to this, the new you that comes into the full awareness of his or her rights will be free. You want to know why you'll be free? Because you'll know that that weapon, that situation, that problem is not from God. That disease is not from God. That punishment is not from God. You'll know that because you know his will. You'll know that God willed you to freedom, not to slavery. He willed you to prosperity, not poverty. He willed you to health, not sickness. When you know that, and then something or someone comes along and says, well, you know what? You ought to just accept this. It could be of God. You can say, maybe it's of God, but it's not of God. Because the stripes were laid upon his back to heal me, not to punish me. And he took the punishment so I wouldn't be punished again. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 has some amazing truths. It starts out by saying, listen to this. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray and make requests for you. I want you to hear what the Spirit has prayed, because the Spirit is praying this for you and me. Let's look at verse 9 out of the Passion Translation. Since we first heard about you, we've kept you always in our prayers that you would receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your lives. That right there is revolutionary. Did you know God's pleased with you? Bam. How can God be pleased? Because you and I both know we don't do things right all the time. But as one who's had the honor of seeing people through the eyes of the Father, seeing People the way, and I don't want to chase this rabbit. But as someone who God has allowed for to see people as he sees people. When you see people through the eyes of love, it blows your mind. It wrecks you emotionally. And theologically, boom, they don't prepare you for this in Bible college. Because when you see people the way God sees people. You see him as perfect. Yes, sir. I don't understand how love glosses over all of the wrongs, but the Bible says love keeps no record, none of wrongs. I think that's what makes grace so amazing. Because when God looks at you, he looks at you through Jesus. He sees you through the perfection of his only begotten son. So when he looks at you in his eyes, you're perfect. You're beautiful. 
And we sit there and go, God, how can you love me that way? And the only response is love. I don't see the pain. I see the perfection. I don't see where you've transgressed. I see you perfected in the sun. So God is pleased. You see, some of us, we've grown up our whole lives hearing that we're the problem. Unwanted, unloved. And God comes along and he whispers, you're not only wanted, but you're wanted so desperately that my son died for you. You're not only loved, but you're loved so passionately that God, the scripture says, he's got a tattoo. And it's I heart Jimmy. God has you tattooed on his body. Personally, I think the tattoos are the, the scars. Let that sink in. God is pleased with you right now. Completely pleased. Let's keep reading. We pray that you would walk in, what, where was I? Verse 9. We've kept you always in our prayers that you would receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your lives making you reservoirs of every kind of wisdom and spiritual understanding. Let's say this together. Put up the, there we go. I want you to say this like you mean this. I have perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over me. Stop right there and let that sink in for a minute. God's not angry with you. God's pleased with you. And you don't have to convince God to bless you. He's so pleased with you that he wants to bless you in ways that will blow your mind. So let's say it again. I have perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over me. I have the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Amen. You see, you want to know why I'm having you say that? Because the voice that you believe more than any other voice is yours. You're the greatest prophet you've ever met, you face every morning in the mirror. And you can prophesy doom and you'll believe it. Or you can prophesy glory and you'll believe it. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 10. We pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness the older translations say, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that when you live your life, you're living it according to His standards. You're living it in a way that He has ordained for you to live it. That you're walking every day in a manner that reflects His goodness, His kindness, His love, His compassion. So we pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness, pleasing God in every good thing you do. Then you'll become fruit-bearing branches, yielding to His life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in His fullness. You know, the greatest liability most of us have is our self-image. We hold ourselves back because like even, I've had people say, well, Pastor, I felt like the Lord gave me a word for someone. And my question is, well, did you release it? Did you say it? Well, no. Well, why not? 
Well, God wouldn't give me a word for someone. Why wouldn't he? Are you not his child? Does he somehow love the televangelist more than he loves you? No. He wants to move through you because you are this world's answer. The very hope of glory is Christ in you. But the Christ in you needs to become the Christ that's exposed through you. So when you feel like the Lord, will you make mistakes? Absolutely. I make two or three every Sunday. But don't let that hinder you. Because can I say, is this okay this morning? God's throne is built so well, your blunders won't bring it destruction. <laughs> it's not like God says, oh, myself. What am I going to do now? Eric done messed up. You know, like one of those old movies. No, God's like, you know what? It's all cool. Because I've got grace that's more than sufficient for that particular blunder. Hmm. So let's say this together. Is this okay this morning? I walk in the way of true righteousness. I please God in every good thing I do. You know, I imagine right now the devil's going, I hope they don't believe this stuff. Because if they ever find out what he's done for them and who they are, I'll never be able to use them again. That's right, bro. Right. I bear a lot of fruit. I yield to his life. And I am mature. And I know God in his fullness. This is what the spirit of grace has been praying for us. Let's look at verse 11. And we pray that you would be energized with all his explosive power. Selah. All of his explosive power. So when you've hit the end of your long road, rely on his grace. That you'd be energized with all his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory, filling you with great hope. Let's say this together. I'm energized with all his explosive power. And I am filled with great hope. See, the new you can never be beaten. The new you can stand up in the court of law and every time the enemy says, well, they, he did this, she did that, you said this. You walk in such love, there is no, you, love is your defense. Mm. Let's go to verse 12 now. As a response to believing in those prayers, this is what the apostle said. Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy, say, your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy. Worthy of what? Worthy of all of His glory, all of His goodness, and all of His love, all of His blessings. 
to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. Do you see that? Do you remember in the story of the prodigal son, which is really the story of the loving father, how when the son who had lost his way came home, and he had been rehearsing, like you, you and I do, how he was going to proclaim his unworthiness. And in his mind, he's thinking... If I can just clean up after, clean the stalls, at least my, the servants in my father's house have enough to eat. I, I know I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. I know I'm not capable of living in the house, but if I can just be on the outer skirts, if I can just clean the dung up, at least I'll get something to eat. And so while he's rehearsing all of this unworthiness and he's walking, he sees his father running. And in my imagination, I'm, I've always thought, here it comes. He's going to tell me to get off his land. I've blown it. I'm no longer welcome. He's already rehearsed all this unworthiness. Are y'all following me? Yes, I mean, he's been, he's been marinating in unworthiness. And here comes the father running to him. And I, okay, 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 father, I'm sorry. I, just, I thought maybe, but I understand. I'll just go find my place. And the father runs to him. And as he's bracing for judgment, he encounters grace. And the father falls on him. There's no record of the son ever getting to clean himself up. So I imagine his clothes stank. He had funkification all over his body. And if you're wondering what funkification is, Google it. It means beyond funk. It's, it's, it's like you passed stink up a long time ago. Now you're over to where it's actually, you can feel it. Funkification. It's like a superpower. And the father just presses through all that. And while the son is trying to say, I'm not worthy, that the father's kissing him. And he's like, the father, and here's what gets me. The father pays no attention to the profession of unworthiness. The father never says, you know, you're right. You really aren't unworthy. But we'll fix that. The father just kept, keeps kissing. You and I have been made worthy not by effort, but by love. And then, of course, there's the elder. And the elder hears the sound of a party. Religious people don't like parties. They think you should always be somber. And don't smile, because that means you're guilty of something. Yeah. <laughs> and don't ever laugh, because that proves you're backslidden. And so the elder son hears all this. And, and here's my point in chasing this rabbit. He comes, and he's standing afar off, and he's seething in anger. Because he thinks the younger son ought to get punished for all he did. And I've been here and I've been working and I've been slaving and he went off and he lived righteously and he was with loose women. And I thought, there's nowhere in the record it says he was with loose women. Ah, it means the elder brother daydreamed about loose women. That's what it means. It means if he had had the money, that's what he would have done. Never says the younger son did that. And then he said, I've been here the whole time and you never let me have a single calf to make merry with my friend. And this is what the father says. The father says it's been yours the whole time. The whole time. 
Why am I saying that? See, we've been taught that won't it be good over there? And we got to wait until we're over there to have anything that's good because down here we got to. But religion has taught us you can't be happy till after you die. Won't we be happy over there, over there? Or won't we be happy over there? Probably not because you ain't happy here. The, your inheritance, nowhere in the Bible is it stated it's put off until after death. Just like the elder son who seeds in anger thinking, I just want to have one day where I'm happy. One day. Baby, this is your day. It's been yours the whole time. The blessings have been opened. Every promise has a yes attached to it. Grace is here. Love is here. Don't be like the elder son. Understand, you can have it now. Brother Hagen used to tell us that we all should have a little bit of heaven to go to heaven with. So that when we get there, it's of course better, but it's not altogether unfamiliar. You understand what I'm saying? So when we step over, it's like, wow, this is, yeah. But I had a little bit of heaven that I came to heaven with. I hear it, so I'll hurry up. But I ain't done. Can I finish? Chicken's already gone. <laughs> You're worthy to receive the inheritance. That means you're an heir, a joint heir, already seated with Christ. Listen to this. Well, I might have to finish this next week because there's rabbits all over the place. Have you ever heard on earth as it is in heaven? When the disciples said, teach us to pray. He said, okay, here's a model. I'm going to give you the model. Our father. Don't call him some great God. Far off and distant and unrelated to you. He's your daddy. Our father. Who art in heaven. Your name is so holy. Thy kingdom Come, thy will be done on earth, on earth, on earth, even as it is in heaven. Okay. Is there sickness in heaven? No, sir. Are loved ones who have died in Christ in heaven with a limp? Are they having blue Mondays? Are they worried about end-of-the-month bills? On earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't matter if this hasn't been the realization. This is the reality. This is what we're pressing for. On earth as it is in heaven. You and I are recreated to be masters of our environment. Can we stretch it just a little bit further? Yes. We're to rule the laws of nature. Adam did. And there have been Christians, many Christians, who had the audacity to speak to the weather and it obeyed them. I've, I've known of people who spoke to tornadoes and they went back up. We well, think, okay, that could have just happened. Well, let me share a story with you. During the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma... 
There was a farmer who prayed for it to rain. Because you remember, it was the Dust Bowl. There was no rain. He prayed for it to rain, but he prayed for it to rain in such a way that, God, I want you to make it rain in such a way that my unbelieving neighbors know it's you. It rained up to his fence line and stopped. All the way around, it rained on his property, not on the neighbor's. Is it possible that you and I are recreated to be much more than we've ever allowed ourselves to be? Because we were afraid of being called those radicals, right? Well, you know, you can't be, you can't go crazy with that faith stuff. Why not? Why not aspire to be all that he died that I might be? Why should I live my life? And, and I'll close. I, I won't keep going. We'll pick this up next week. But why should I... Why should I aspire to live my life in such a way that I please unbelievers? Why? They didn't die for me. He did. So should I not aspire, as crazy as it sounds, as radical as it might be, should I not aspire to live my life in a way that's worthy of Him? That, that in my speech, I speak like Him. That in my actions, I act like Him. And it might make Him... Yeah, I'll be misunderstood. But I don't need your understanding. You don't need my understanding. We don't need their understanding. You know, the Bible says that it's impossible for the unspiritual to judge spiritual things. It's impossible because they just, they don't get it. So why should we try to make it to where they get it? We should try to make it to where they want it. So when they see that man, it's raining on your land and not mine, why? Let me tell you a little story about a man named Jesus. Yeah? And, 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 and when everyone else is getting sick and you're not. And they want to know why. But everyone in the office got it. How you... Let me tell you a little story. But a man named Jesus. A few more. Oh, there's so many good things. Well. We'll pick it up next week. But Sister Fowler, if you can find where Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches, put that one slide up. And then we'll pick up the rest of this next week. This is what Jesus said, and this is where we're closing. He said, I am the sprouting vine, and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, then and only then are you powerless. Now, I want you to look at the graphic. Jesus is that center part. He's the vine. But the fruit comes out on the branches. Now, here's my question. Is the life that flows through the branches any different or of a lesser degree than the life that flows through the vine? No. If there's sap in the vine, the same sap is up in the branches, right? And Jesus said, I'm the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me, the same life 
that animated him animates you. Not a lesser degree, not a cheap fabrication, right? It's not pleather. It's actual the real stuff. So the same anointing that was in Jesus Christ is in you. The same wisdom that was in Christ is in you. The same spirit that was in Christ is in you. Can you see the standard you and I've got to live up to? I don't need to match you. <laughs> and you don't need to match me. That's easy. We got to match him. OMG. It just got the bar got sat real high. But you know what? It's doable. It's doable. We can become like him. Because he's already on the inside. Close your eyes.